Chapter Thirteen of the Mind the Paint Girl. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mind the Paint Girl by Lewis Tracy. Chapter Thirteen, which began to glow. It was Farncombe who first found his tongue, placing his overcoat and hat on the nearest chair. He advanced towards the girl with outstretched hands. It's awfully kind and gracious of you to have granted my request, he said, and frightfully selfish of me to have made it. I deserve to be kicked. She avoided his gaze. Though his eyes were devouring her, he was far too nervous to see that she was compelling herself to regain control of her faculties. Perhaps of her emotions is... Is Jimmy aware of precisely what's in your note? She asked quietly. Yes, he drew a little nearer, but she had contrived to place herself so that a table intervened, and when he threatened to pass that barrier, she moved slightly, aimlessly fingering some object on it, but studiously avoiding him. I do hope you won't be angry with me for confiding in her, he said, and she could not fail to catch the tension in his voice. You see, i i had to give her a reason lily shrugged her shoulders she was still deeply interested in some photograph or knick-knack of the boudoir and she will confide in uncle lull she commented with a moue of smiling discontent oh but dear old lull appears to have summed up the situation pretty accurately as it is and she marked the afterthought by an artificial little laugh well I'm afraid they'll be horribly disappointed, poor wretches. Disappointed? said Farncombe blankly. He dared not, even to himself, admit that he understood. Then the girl raised eyes that were electrically blue in this searching light, and shook her head at him reprovingly. You silly, silly boy, she cried, though strive as she might. She could not tune her mood to the requisite pitch of raillery. In his sudden despair, Farncombe disregarded her obvious wish to keep him at a distance. He came closer, with an impetuous movement, and seized a hand. Ah, please, please don't take that tone with me, he cried. I'm no boy, and I'm simply mad about you. If you don't marry me, I, I'm done for. The eager pleading. Unbalanced words came tumbling out without any heed to form or sense. Yet they stirred Lily Paradell a good deal more than she cared to show. Nor did she find it an easy task to utter her thoughts, to marshal them in ordered sequence. All she could say was, Hush! Nonsense! Not you! It's true. Life will be over for me from the moment you refuse to marry me. Over. He was aware only of the effort at mockery. He could not guess what that effort cost her. Naturally, the love is all on my side at present, he said, striving desperately to shake her apparent self-possession. But, as God hears me, it will be no fault of mine if you don't grow to love me in time. Listen, she broke in, but the tumult in his heart was unendurable, and he cried frenziedly, I'll worship you, worship you, I do worship you. Lord Farncombe, you know my name. How can I? Won't you, dear, please, for today, Eddie? Well then, Eddie, 
ah he seemed to consider it so great a point gained that she retracted hurriedly sit down a minute she entreated and she herself dropped into a chair evidently she was somewhat ruffled and she pushed her hair back from her forehead impatiently as though vexed at her own lack of will-power now lord farncombe eddie for how long have you known me she said severely or with what she intended for severity what does it matter he urged i-i admit but lily held up a warning hand and nodded her pretty head in a most business-like way reckoning our acquaintance from the afternoon bertie brought you here she said when as it happened we scarcely spoke to one another you haven't met me as many times as you can count on your fingers but i've watched you watched you in the theatre she laughed quite pleasantly with the ready tolerance of experience for simplicity on the stage oh you but i mustn't call you a silly boy again must i and pray what do you know of me apart from the few glimpses you've had of me off the stage and the fact that i'm a shining light of the pandora what do you know of my what's the word origin where and what i've sprung from how i was reared how much education i've received how much i've contrived to pick up of the way to behave in polite society you can judge from my poor mother if from nothing else that i came from humble beginnings yes but how humble you couldn't dream not after a supper of raw carrots if she fancied that by the concluding deft touch of low comedy she could bring this young man to realize the absurdity of the dream he was harboring already she was mistaken he bent forward in the chair he had occupied close to hers and said earnestly do you think i care how humble your beginnings were what do i know what i am sure about is that you're good and beautiful and and gifted and oh i can't describe you you're you're to me you're perfect perfect she looked at him with blinking eyelids you you dear he took heart of grace at that remark so she resumed her pose of gentle irony instantly perfect she repeated merci oui pour le moment hear my french it's a nice language for for expressing one's self agreeably but the eminent slip had been so narrowly averted that she grew confused and took a box of cigarettes from the table have one no don't get up and she tossed a cigarette to him before he could rise my name is printed on them lily isn't it chic the lovelorn youth at once produced a cigarette case and exchanged one of his own for that which she had given him i'll never smoke that he vowed she flushed slightly and pushed a match stand across the table don't be stupid she said nervously aware that this man alone among her friends had the trick of disconcerting her now attend to me please let us look back a bit over the uninteresting career of lily paradell the mind the paint girl what do you say to a start in a tiny provision shop in kennington over the water 
admirable does it matter which bank of the thames you were born on lily she blew a little puff of smoke at him playfully you've got to understand she said feeling sure of herself now sure that she could disillusion him yet hardly knowing what effect the process might have on her own feelings afterwards that was my start in the world father kept a small shop in kennington gladwin street near the oval we sold groceries and butter and eggs and cheese and pickled pork and paraffin i was born there on the second floor and in gladwin street i lived till i was fourteen then father smashed through the stores cutting into our little trade well hardly smashed that's too imposing the business just faded and one morning we didn't bother to take the shutters down then after a while father got a starvation berth eighteen shillings a week at a wholesale bacon warehouse price and mosley's still over the water and i earned an extra five at a place in the westminster bridge road for pasting the gilt edges on to pass part two from nine a m till six in the evening her hearer's head was bowed he seemed to find it hard almost impossible to picture the popular idol of the pandora theatre as one among the hordes of anemic ill-dressed girls whom he had seen passing to and from their work at those very hours silent swift-moving with pinched pallid faces grim and gaunt beyond their years great heavens he muttered don't you breathe a syllable against the pass partous said lily affecting lightly to misunderstand him they were the making of me it was the passepartouts that brought me and tedder together tedder he glanced up inquiringly the name was new to him oh you've never heard of tedder she laughed in the house where i worked away up on one of the upper floors a man named ambrose tedder taught dancing stage dancing tedder's academy of saltatory art i can see those words now in white letters on a brown door and many a time as i passed and heard his violin or piano and the sound of his pupils feet i felt something rise in my soul that took a bit of the gilt off the picture frames during the next half hour oh dear once i get talking of those days she broke off abruptly and threw herself back but suddenly recollecting the disagreeable task she had imposed on herself she began to talk again swiftly almost passionately relapsing of set purpose into the colloquial slang of the kennington park road when other girls were going to school i was earning my living she cried i've never passed through the flapper age it was work for me almost as soon as i could read properly well ultimately tender took me and trained me did it for nicks for what he hoped to get out of me in the future my word he hasn't lost over me poor old ambrose he collared a third of my salary for ever so long and now that the old chap's rheumaticky and worn out i-it's not worth mentioning she sprang up and walked halfway across the room the habit of the stage was strong upon her and this bit of real life was not to be laid bare in all its unattractive crudity while she was sitting like a decorous young lady at a tea-party 
my stars he could teach could tetter she vowed i began by going to him for the last twenty minutes of my dinner hour he wanted to stop that because it was bad for me he said to practice on a fool a fool oh it's too funny as if my poor little tummy ever was full in those days she was laughing now but there were tears in her eyes and the man who loved her held out his hands in mute appeal that she would distress herself no more that involuntary action warned her that she must continue i was a pupil of tedder's for twelve months she went on more collectedly and then he got me on at the canterbury and from the canterbury i went to gaddy's and from gaddy's to the lane for a few lines in the pantomime and an understudy my first appearance in the west end oh the west end is the best end you remember the song no of course you don't you were a good little boy going to school when i was earning my living from there i went to the old strand and then did a turn at the canterbury where thank my stars vincent bland dropped in one night and heard me sing a little song maury cooling spotted me too and that led to my being engaged at the pandora where i ate my heart out doing next to nothing for two whole years then came the production of the duchess of brixton and it was in the duchess owing to vincent's good memory that i sang mind the paint he believed in me did vincent he saw that i was fit for something more than just prancing about and airing my ankles in a gay frock by jove how he fought for me how he fought for me up to the final rehearsal and to this day whenever i indulge in a prayer you bet vincent bland has a paragraph all to himself in it something in farncombe's dejected attitude warned her that she had gone far enough she walked over to him and put her hand lightly on his shoulder and her manner changed i am sorry she said i needn't have inflicted quite so much of my biography on you but i did want to tell you enough to show you to show you he sprang upright and gazed into her eyes with a passionate intensity that might be startling but could not fail to charm the woman whom he said he loved and he completed the sentence with no little skill to show me what a marvel you are he said for an instant she forgot the moral of her lecture despite her wonderful success on the stage she was only a girl in heart and it was gratifying to find such a man hanging upon her very words praising her without stint for what she had done taking her for what she was rather than for what she had been she cooed with the low joyous laugh of the woman who knows that she is holding spellbound the man who loves her carried away by the excitement of the moment she put her hands familiarly on his shoulders yes she said breathlessly and all the schooling i've ever had eddie was at a cheap frowsy day school in kennington with a tribe of other common skinny-legged brats imagine it i don't say i'm not proud of myself really why shouldn't i be many a woman would feel as vain as a peacock in my shoes fancy from the shop in gladwin street to this and one hand swept regally around her domain 
and from tetter's stuffy room in the westminster bridge road to the stage of the pandora as principal girl it's an achievement of course and i did it myself everything i've learnt since except my music which i owe to tetter and vincent but everything else i've learnt by sheer cuteness from novels the papers the theatres and by keeping my ears open like a cunning little parrot ah uh, that's what i am just a clever little parrot not a word of jice of the long walks together of the hours spent in picture galleries and museums these were forgotten for the hour she laughed gleefully and farncombe laughed with her he was beginning to hope again he drew the happiest auguries from this tender intimacy oh and i dare say she went on tossing her head in a careless gesture that was characteristic i could imitate the fine ladies you mix with so that in less than six months you'd hardly know the difference between them and me he caught her hands and held them to his breast there is no difference already he murmured there is none isn't there and she almost nestled up to him ah but you should see me in one of my vile tempers then then you wouldn't becoming conscious of how close she was to him and of a dangerous topic she moved back quickly and looked at him with a flush of embarrassment anyhow she said anyhow it isn't my intention to give you a chance of comparing us oh miss paradell he broke in no she said firmly i'm not going to let you make a fool of yourself over me if i can help it a fool he cried is it folly that i should want you to be my wife but she was mistress of herself now and she spoke quietly but decisively you must recollect however shrewd and apt i may be and however straight i've managed to keep myself still i am only a pandora girl and would always be remembered as one of your chums and belongings only a pandora girl nothing can alter that dear boy and you mustn't you really mustn't handicap yourself by hanging me round your neck he flared into protest at that what law is there he cried eagerly that says a man shall not marry the woman he loves and if i might dare to add the woman who loves him should i be the first of my class to marry an actress no she answered seriously but without wishing to flatter you i don't quite put you on a level with some of the fellows who have married girls from the theatre they were nice boys but rather what you might call rotters you are not like any of them not a little bit and so she added cheerfully turning away to take his hat and coat and give them to him i mean to take care of you not only for your own sake but for your daddy's and mammy's sake too now time's up he had a dazed look in his eyes which hurt her dreadfully and there was a slight pause during which neither of them stirred then she forced herself to say with a certain flippancy now eddie never mind you'll survive it come along she passed him meaning to enforce her words by opening the door but before she knew what had happened farncombe had flung aside his hat and coat 
and had clasped her in his arms lily lily he almost sobbed ah that's not fair she cried but don't don't send me away like this it isn't fair of you say you'll take time to consider oh i shall hate you for it and i have trusted you ask roper's advice your mother's he pleaded eddie lord farncombe there was no mistaking her tone this time he released her and they confronted one another she panting and wild-eyed with what she thought was only surprise he hanging his head guiltily well 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 she stammered i i have been mistaken in you he turned away in an attitude of blank despair and struck his temples with his clenched fists i i forgive me at least forgive me he said brokenly ha and i i thought you were such a quiet bashful fellow i can only ask you to forgive me he said again with an utter dejection that had a far more potent effect than he knew she was evidently wavering and after a moment's indecision approached him slowly don't don't fret about it she said gently i do forgive you if anybody is to blame it is i and she drew a deep breath i had no business to give you all those dances her words seemed to stir irresistible memories and he swung round on her seizing her hand and kissing it passionately i may see you again he asked say i may see you again lily 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 she averted her head for the strain was beginning to tell upon her no she whispered we'd better not then when the tension was becoming unendurable they were both aware of a low but distinct knocking on the door which communicated with the landing and staircase the girl withdrew her hand quickly and each looked at the other he inquiringly and she with a sort of scare which passed instantly when the knocking was repeated mother she cried is that you she went to the door and took hold of the handle but with the natural nervousness of a woman in face of the unexpected at such a time and place did not open the door at once that you mother she cried more loudly there was no answer again came that mysterious tap upon the panels then who is it she said boldly and opened the door with a jerk a man was standing there a tall man whose overcoat was buttoned up to his chin and who was wearing a cap drawn low over his brows but one swift glance at the drawn white face and determined jaws told her the startling truth nico you she almost screamed how have you got in jice entered without uttering a word and there was a truculence almost a murderous fierceness in his manner which caused her to start and spring back in alarm while farncombe took a hurried pace or two forward but jice stood stock still once he was well in the room and after a questioning glare at the young viscount at the young viscount as though daring him to come nearer he produced a bunch of keys and grimly displayed a latch-key the sight of it seemed to rouse lily paradell to a heedless fury oh she almost screamed running to close the door and then swiftly turning to appeal to farncombe i owe you an explanation of this insolence 
captain jice is in the habit of bringing me home from the theatre after my work and a long while ago i gave him a latchkey so that he could let me into my house whenever i had forgotten my own key he hasn't the slightest right to use it any other time and nobody knows that better than he does it's a confounded liberty then she turned on jice with lightning in her eyes what are you doing here at all this hour of the morning she asked jice almost ignored her he bent an expressive glance on farncombe a glance which conveyed the insult it intended an odd question in the circumstances he sneered answer me cried lily determinedly why are you here i'm keeping an eye on you he growled spying on me she said bitterly oh on both of you and he jerked his head towards farncombe with that same hint of deadly insult how dare you how dare you she cried i have been at it all night too i was even in the theatre while you were supping and dancing you were and the girl's voice almost cracked in her excitement yes i meant to be there you did your best to stop it that's a lie she broke in vehemently so that you could enjoy yourself thoroughly with this young spark he continued giving a malicious emphasis to each biting word again a lie she breathed chokingly i didn't leave till past three he explained still speaking with a cool malevolence that carried deadly conviction you and your friend there had just had your fifth dance together and they were hauling you round the building where were you she demanded almost stunned by the consciousness that he must really have been in the theatre excuse me that's my business he retorted then when i could stand it no longer i went back to german street but it suddenly struck me that i should like to see how your home-going escort was composed you've been watching outside she said moved to a bitter contempt since a quarter to four under the portico at the corner then yielding to a sense of intolerable wrong he cried hoarsely but my god i wasn't quite prepared for this this lily screamed the word as though he had struck her with a whip jice crammed his cap into his overcoat pocket and strode close up to farncombe what the hell's your game he demanded fiercely you've got some accommodating friends both of you in that blackguard roper and that slut jimmy birch for an instant it seemed as though the two men meant to fly at each other's throats the girl sprang between them her fists clenched and her eyes blazing oh you cur she said in the accents of ineffable scorn you low cur End of chapter 13